Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to two places, would you? We're going to start in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to make our way into John chapter 21, as we're in the last chapter now of John's gospel. And what a tremendous time that we've enjoyed over the last few years, studying and walking down the dusty roads with Jesus, learning and growing. And last week, we were with the disciples led by Peter, a few of the disciples, that went back fishing. And they were fishing all night, and they caught nothing. They fished, and they fished, and they fished. And yet at the command of Jesus, when they cast their nets on the other side, they caught 153 large fish. And it was so encouraging. And God will always supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It was the missionary Hudson Taylor that went to China that said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply. And in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote this, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 5, we have the call of Peter into ministry. And it's very similar to what we read in John chapter 21 as he is restored into ministry. Notice with me Luke chapter 5, pick up in verse 1. And so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake Gennesaret. Three different names for the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, we learned last week, the Sea of Tiberias, and also now the Lake of Gennesaret. All the same thing, Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then, verse 3, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep, And let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered, and Simon is another name for Peter. Sometimes he referred to as Simon Peter. So Peter answers and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net, notice, was breaking. Turn over now to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, pick up with me in verse 10. This is now at the end of Jesus' time with Peter. Peter has denied the Lord three times. He has seen him resurrected, but they're still trying to process everything that they've taken in in such a short amount of time. Peter decided to go fishing. He wants to go back to his career. He's going to leave the call of God, and he's going to go back to fishing, what he knew. And many people went with them. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net 
was not broken. At the beginning of Peter's call into ministry, his call to no longer be a fisherman, man, but to be a fisher of men, Jesus sends him out and says, put down your net in the deep, and he catches a big catch, comes in, and the net's breaking. Now at the end of his life, at the end of, I should say, the, right before the ascension of Jesus Christ, at the end of the ministry of Jesus on the earth, as Peter's going to be recommissioned and restored, now we have an instance where they're bringing in fish and the net doesn't break. Now, I want to bring out something that Pastor John Corson brought out in his commentary that I thought was so cool, such a distinction that we didn't touch on last week. In Luke 5, the catch had broken nets, and it was the beginning of Peter's evangelistic ministry. And so the broken nets really do become a picture of evangelism, and I'll show you, why, show you how. So many get caught with the gospel. So many hear the message, and so many respond to the message, and yet the net breaks. Not everyone that responds to the gospel is truly going to continue on with the faith. You know, not, not everyone that raises their hand, not everyone that stands up in an invitation, not everyone that comes forward at a crusade or at an altar call in a particular church is going to continue on in the faith. Sometimes it's just an emotional response. Sometimes something's happened in a person's life where they are touched by the Word of God. It's just at the right time. They know they need to think, make things right. They listen to the pastor. They follow through, but then... Well, you know, Jesus taught us when he gave us the parable of the sower. He said a sower goes out and sows seed, and out of the four examples that he gives, three were ripped off, and only one made it through. I think it's a stern warning for us, and those listening in on the radio uh, somewhere in the country, around the world, or online right now, for us here, it's a stern warning that because you raise your hand when you're five years old, or because you might have stood here and prayed a prayer, you must be born again. So raising a hand doesn't save you. Standing doesn't save you. Walking the aisle doesn't save you. Saying a few words with, with no resultant new life doesn't save a person. Jesus said, we must be born again. And you go, Ed, well, how will I know? Well, Jesus taught us on that matter. Jesus said that Good fruit comes from a good tree. Therefore, the opposite is also true that Jesus taught us, that bad fruit comes from a bad tree. You can see your life. Has there been change? Have you repented of sin? Now, we aren't speaking of a perfect life. No one lives a perfect life until they meet Jesus face to face. But what is coming from your life since you prayed that prayer since you turned your life toward God? What's coming from your life? Because if you see bad fruit, then you really need to question yourself. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't know your heart. So when you respond, we're going to take you at your word. If you believe that you, you really need to get your life right with God and you are repenting of your sin and you say you're a believer, we're going to treat you like a believer. We're going to hold you accountable to what the Word of God says. We're going to hold you accountable to what a life lived for Jesus looks like. If you say you're a believer and you act like an unbeliever, we'll evangelize you. 
Because that's what you do with people that look like unbelievers. We share the gospel with you. What's going on? And you come back, but I got saved. I raised my hand when I was 10 years old. But look at your life, bro. Look at your life. It's not lived for the things of God. And of course, if you're here today and you're a skeptic and you're kind of, you were here because somebody invited you, or then, then we're going we're gonna to share the gospel with you. The Bible uses that word evangelism. But it's important for us to understand the broken nets, the fisher of men and women. Not everybody is going to continue on, even here. Even here at Calvary, we have all the water baptisms throughout the year because we haven't had one in the reservoir for a while. So we have baptisms now on Wednesday nights. I mean, we had so many people get water baptized that we ordered a brand new baptismal. So now that we're going to have three, by the way, I just want you to know, the word baptismal is a code word for a painted horse trough. So at any rate, that's what it's going to be here. There's going to be three of them now. Because so many, we were, were staying so late baptizing on Wednesday nights that, that we're going to have three of them now. And I have to say this, not everyone that's baptized in water is saved. So you come and you go, man, I, I got water baptized, but your life hasn't changed. All that happened that night is you got wet. You must be born again. That's the only way. It's the only way that you and I, God must save you and me. And he does. But don't just rely on a prayer or a raising of the hand or attending a church that uses the Bible. You must be born again. It's the only way you're going to see the kingdom of God. Now, in John 21, we see that there's another big catch, but the nets don't break. This speaks to us of discipleship and pastoral care. You say, Ed, how do you know that? Because we're going to read in just a moment the direction that Jesus gives to Peter for the rest of his life. It's going to be to feed the lambs, tend the lambs, feed the lambs. Peter, I'm calling you and restoring you into pastoral ministry. The rest of your life will not be spent fishing. The rest of your life, Peter, will be taking care of my sheep. It won't be easy, as we'll learn. It will be difficult. But that is what you're going to be doing, Peter. And notice, for this call to discipleship and pastoral care, you're going to bring them all in, all 153. A lot of people spend time trying to figure out what 153 looks like when there's a clearer message there. And he says, bring them to me. And as he does, the net doesn't break. Bring them to me. When it comes to evangelism, we can't lean too much on numbers because we don't know the hearts of men. And yet, in John 21, we can lean on the ability to take care of the flock and minister to those that are following Jesus. But you know, it's not, it's not, like whose responsibility is that? When you say, well, who's supposed to take care of the flock? It would be easy for you to yell out, you, Ed, it's your responsibility. You're the pastor. I'm not a pastor. And in some sense, that would be a correct answer, but it's not the right answer. Who's to take care of the flock of God? It's not you. It's not your responsibility, Ed, but rather it's our responsibility, church. It's our responsibility. We've all been gifted and put in the body exactly where God wants us, and it's our responsibility. It's not just for the 13 pastors that are here. It's not just for the the dozens and dozens and dozens of elders and lay leaders here. It's for us. You know, when God puts it upon your heart to go visit someone in the hospital, guess what? The church was visiting that hospital. 
When God puts it upon your heart to take food to uh, someone in need in your community, guess what? The church just gave food to that person in your community. I think of the trailer that was just packed out here. We, We have that need in Houston. And I mean, I don't know about you, but lately it's very easy for me watching the news and seeing what's going on with what happened in Houston, down all through Corpus Christi, what's happening, what happened, what they anticipated in Florida, but didn't quite happen, and the devastation in Puerto Rico, as I've met a couple new friends that have family in Puerto Rico. I mean, it's 70% is the latest article that I read. 70% of the homes there have been damaged in some way or utterly destroyed. These are people's lives here. We see it on the news, but these are people's lives. Every house that's destroyed represents a family, represents someone that Jesus died for. And it just keeps coming, it keeps coming. And I have to say something. Man, it is overwhelming. I feel overwhelmed when I'm watching it. Because my response is, we've got to help these people. And yet at the same time, I realize I can't do everything. Maybe you feel that way. I can't do everything. I want to do everything. I can't do everything. And as someone once said... Even though we can't do everything, we must do something. And when we do something, it's collectively together the body of Christ. Man, that's when the church makes a difference in the world. Because this morning I was checking in on Joel. He is on staff at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and so I was texting him. I go, hey man, get, what's the update on your family? What's going on? And, and he texted me this morning that Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale is starting to send teams now and moving resources with Samaritan's Purse all throughout Puerto Rico. So things are starting to happen there. And the believers are rising to the occasion. And then, of course, what did we get to be a part of? At the time it happened, Houston was the big deal. And so we moved right away. We moved right away. And Bob and Kate, a part of our ministry here, um, they recently made a decision in their life to say, we are done at this season of our life. We're selling our business, selling our house, and we are going off in this new ministry that God has called us to in relief efforts, which basically means they're going to live in a trailer, and whenever something happens around the country, they're going to drive to that place and work there till the work is done. And they, they really caught the vision down when we had the floods and lions. And they were working down in lines all that time, and they caught the vision. So they're in the final stages of finishing all that. And then when Houston came, they go, this is it. They didn't know where they were going to go. They weren't sure what the first step would be. And when Houston came, they go, that's it. That's where we got to go. And so what do we do? We put out a list and said, would you please donate these items, bring them into the trailer, and Bob and Kate's going to drive them to Houston for us. And uh, they ended up being in, where God led them is in Corpus Christi, where there's a warehouse there. Like none of this stuff they knew, but there's a warehouse there. They're going to take over that warehouse. It's going to be a distribution center, and, and who knows what's next for them. But think about this. Every time a family in that area puts one of those Huggies diapers on their naked kid, it's you that provided that as a church. You're not there, but you can be in two places at one time. You can be covering up that little kid so he doesn't have to walk around all naked all the time with the diapers that you gave and here at the same time. That's the body of Christ. We can't do everything. Not all of us can just drop everything, get a trailer. Do you guys know? I don't think you know this. But you guys brought in so much stuff to their trailer that it was too heavy for them to pull with the truck that they already own. So they were, to, they were in between whether they should buy a new truck, buy a new trailer, 
And so Bob went and he tried to fix the transmission, everything on his truck, and, and they got it there, but it wasn't enough. And so they had to end up, they ended up getting a new trailer so it could be more streamlined for them. But you guys brought so much stuff just by that one call for those two weeks so that, yeah, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And I would just say that's a word of the Lord for some of you. You can't do everything, but you've got to do something, church. You can't just keep looking at the world and, and talking about how bad it is, how much you don't like, and, and instead of just, man, do something about it then in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of your opinion. Not in the name of your attitude. Like, it is a bad world. I, don't, I, I can't watch news sometimes. It's just overwhelming. I just can't believe what's happening. I, I can't believe the... I just, I just, it's, so, it's so much that... Hey, look, when Jesus says bring them to him the net doesn't break. And we need to take care of one another. Whose job is it to pastor and shepherd the flock? It's all of our job in our own calling. Those of us that follow Jesus and love him, serve one another, that nobody falls through the cracks. Nobody. That the Lord would use us in mighty ways. Well, notice in verse 12, Jesus says, come and eat breakfast. And none of the disciples asked him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. He didn't, he didn't need to do that, but he was already cooking for them. He loved to share a meal. He was cooking for them. He didn't need their fish. He could have multiplied the fish himself, but he invites them. It's kind of a picture of the marriage feast of the Lamb one day. Jesus just inviting us into his presence to share a meal. Verse 14, this is the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So... Verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, and we're going to read these three words together each time they come up, all right? So there's going to be one in verse 15, one in verse 16, one in verse 17, and you guys connected by technology and radio, you read it with us. So let me reread that. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, say it out loud. Feed my lambs. Verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny the Lord again? And how many times does Jesus give Peter a chance to affirm his love to him? Three times. I wonder if it was for each of the times he denied him. We read Bible stories. We can become so familiar with these true stories of the Bible that we lose the significance. I put myself in Peter's, I put myself in Peter's sandals for a moment and think, if Jesus came to me today and said, Ed, and we were trying to think of animals first service, so, you know, because there's no roosters in my neighborhood. Uh, I think they're against the association or something, but you can't have roosters, so what kind of things make noise? And so we had all kinds of people say, dogs! No, dogs isn't going to work. I thought of cats that are eaten by dogs, so that was an option. But, but what I was thinking is in our neighborhood, uh, there's open space far away, and you can hear the coyotes, like nasty noise. So I was thinking, Jesus came to me and said, Ed, 
by the time you hear the crazy noise of the coyotes tonight, you'll deny me three times. Do you know what my response would be? No way. I really believe that. There's just no way, Lord. I mean, I know I'm weak, and I know I had issues, but to deny you three times? And I could even think, if all of Calvary Aurora denies you, I'll never deny you, Lord. And I believe Peter was, like, legit. I don't think, I, I know he was, God was revealing pride in his life, and if I was ever to say something, oh, all Calvary would deny you, that would be very prideful of me. So I know that God is revealing, but I think he believed it completely. I think he was dedicated to follow. I believe he was not going to be, he, I, I believe he wasn't going to be in any way persuaded to deny Jesus, except that he didn't really even know himself, did he? And the weakness of his own flesh. So that the denial that Peter has here is probably the biggest failure of his life. I've had a few failures in my life. Heavy burdens to carry. Things that you wish you would never have done. Both as an unbeliever and as a believer. And you just carry, you know, failure is a hard thing to deal with, especially when you knew better. The enemy loves to throw seeds of condemnation, of accusation. And can you imagine how Peter's been feeling this whole time? Having to deal with his own failure, having to think of the betrayal, having to think of his, his abandonment of Jesus in his deepest end. And, and he failed. It wasn't fa- he didn't fail when he was under some kind of torture. He didn't fail and deny the Lord when, when he had you know, somebody twisting his arm and, and in front of some king where he was afraid and, and nervous. He was just around the fire and there was a little servant girl there. That's where he denied And he has run to the tomb, and he has seen the risen, but they don't quite understand what's going on. And Peter doesn't know where he stands. He doesn't know where he's going to... I mean, the the last thing in Peter's mind is, I'm a failure. And that's that's why I think he just says, I'm going back fishing. Who am I to be used of God? I'm just going to go back fishing. I'm not... I'm going to go back to my career. And yet Jesus comes to him, cooks him a meal, draws him close calls him in from the Sea of Galilee, and he says, Peter, do you love me? If you guys like to write in your Bible, circle the word. Well, you can just write next to it. In verse 15, the word love is the word agape. It's probably a verb form, agape, but that's how we learn agape. It's, it is the love that's described as supernatural that comes from God to us. The picture and description of love that you find for agape is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the kind of self-sacrificial love that, that one gives for another, expecting nothing in return. So I asked, do you agape? Do you love me with the love of the Father? And he says, of course I do. You know that. Well, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, he asks him again. The word for love in verse 16, same thing, agape. Do you love me, Peter, with the love from the Father? Like, do you love me with a supernatural love? And Peter says, yes. But in verse 17, he changes the word. In verse 17, it's the word phileo when it comes to love where we get our English word Philadelphia. It it speaks of a brotherly love, but much more than that. It also speaks of a family love, that committed love that's within a family, the kind of love that you don't give up on one another, the kind of love that you stand strong with one another. And by the way, you Bible students, if you want to study something interesting, many times the relational aspect of love 
between your Father in heaven and you is actually described as phileo, the kind of love that a dad has for his kids. That deep love that you would do anything. It's relational. Now, many Bible commentators will look at this and say, well, what, Pe- what Jesus is doing with Peter is he's taking it down a notch so that he can affirm that kind of love. And I can see that, but I don't, see, I don't think that's completely all that Jesus is doing here. Jesus is drawing out for him the kind of tether of love that he's going to need. He's going to need both agape love and he's also going to need phileo love to fulfill his calling. And the same is true for us. As a church family, we aren't going to make it without the agape love of God and the phileo love of God among us. That we might first experience the love of God and then begin to stick it out with one another no matter what. Phileo, it's deep. It's a deep love. It is, and, and you can see like Peter's wrestling. He's grieved. This is, he, it, you would think it would be going up, don't you? Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. But it's actually going down. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I know what I did. Yes, of course I love you, Jesus. You're everything to me. If you let him, that's how God will turn your failure into spiritual success and draw you closer to him. It's not God's intent or heart for you to run away because you failed, because you've blown it. It's not God's heart for you to isolate yourself because of the difficulty in your life. It's God's heart for you to press in as hard as it might be because the tether is both agape and phileo. It's both God-generated love, but it's also the love that you have. Since of course I love you. Everything in me loves you, Jesus. You know, he asked in verse 15, do you love me more than these? A lot of people have debated on what Jesus is comparing here. Is he saying, do you love me more than the fish? Because there's 153 smelly fish there, or a few less after he cooked them. Do you love me more than the boats, more than your career, more than your profession? Those are all possibilities. Peter, do you love me more than what comes natural to you? Do you love me through the pain? He could be referring to the other disciples. Do you love me more than the other disciples? I I don't really think that's the case because Jesus isn't going to bring out some comparison with them, but he's drawing him close. And he re-enlists him in ministry. And he restores him and recommissions him. And then he says, notice in verse 18, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you don't wish. Basically, Jesus is saying, it's going to be hard. This is going to be hard. When you were younger, it was a lot easier in life. But now when you get old, hey, listen, 10 feed, care. Notice he says, my sheep. The sheep do not belong to any man. The church of Jesus Christ belongs to Jesus Christ. He's the shepherd. You know, we we have titles here as pastor, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm okay with that. But really what that title should be is under shepherd. As we'll see in a moment, Peter says that Jesus is the chief shepherd And we're just servants alongside of him. You belong not to Calvary, not to Ed, not to, you belong to the Lord. He's your chief shepherd. And he says, man, take care of my lambs. Make sure that they're well cared for. Feed them, take care of them. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It was easier when you were younger, Peter, but it's going to be hard. Now, 
Again, Peter's listening to this real time. We're going to read the next verse that was written way after, a few years after, and John's going to give us the commentary on what happened. But Peter doesn't know this. He's still, I mean, can you imagine the overwhelming sense of feelings that are going through, and his head must be just racing like crazy. You mean, I love you, I love, man, don't you? I do love you. Okay, and this very next breath. Hey, when you were young, it was easy. But when you're old, they're going to pick you up and carry you and take you places you don't want to go. And John says, in verse 19, Jesus was talking about signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. It's going to be tough and it's going to be hard, but it's the best thing that you could possibly do with your life. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. Now, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and that this verse was literally fulfilled through, they wanted to crucify him, but Peter spoke up and said, I don't want to be crucified like my master. I'll do it. If you have to do that, then do it upside down. And that's what tradition gives to us. But we do know this, what Jesus said is true. It did happen in his life. And then notice Peter, verse 20, turning around, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. I wonder who that is. Can you help me out a little bit, John? Oh, the one that leaned on his breast at supper. Really, who is that? John, all the way to the end. I love this. I love it. Whatever relationship they had, it was a good one. So Peter turns around. You know, John could have wrote, Peter looked at me. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the scene is set. Again, even though Judas is betrayed, he got up from dinner, he hung himself. Like they're still dealing with, it's all happening so rapid fire. We're reading it very clearly, word by word, in a book. The Holy Spirit's given us understanding, but they're living it. They're living it moment by moment. They don't know what the next word is. They don't know what the next page is. And so here's the scene. Jesus is talking about, man, you know what? You're going to be taken away, Peter. They're going to take you place you don't want. And he turns around and he says, what about that guy? If I'm going to, what's going to happen to John, man? It's almost like Peter's going, it's always happened to me. What's going to happen to him? Say something about John. Something's going on between them. But what's very clear is, after Peter is encouraged and recommissioned, and he's still, it's very easy to get your eyes off the Lord, even when he's standing in front of you. And he's worried about John. And Jesus' answer is, don't worry about him. Or in today's language, it's none of your business. What I do with John? You follow me. Didn't he just say earlier in verse 19, follow me? Now he's being pretty clear. Peter, you follow me. Yeah, but what about you? I mean, I have to say, after last night, after our service, man, I, 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 I couldn't get these words out of my mind. You, Ed, follow me. I just, I couldn't, even all the way through today, just meditating, you follow me. 
And, and there's, of course, there's some things that would distract me and some things that would get. And so the Lord is just giving me this word. You follow me. You follow me. Yeah, but what about, it's none of your business. Yeah, but what about, it's, not, uh, it's my church, my sheep. They belong to me. You follow me. And there's only one response to that. Yes, Lord. That's my heart. That's my desire. It's easy, isn't it, to fall into this trap of getting our eyes on someone else? Of comparing ourselves with someone else? We, we receive a word and we think, well, what about them? What about them? It's all throughout the scriptures. We compare ourselves both to believers and unbelievers. I mean, a whole psalm is written about the discouragement a brother's feeling because his unbelieving neighbors seem to be getting away with everything and he's, getting, he's having to deal with everything in his life. And it says in that psalm, until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord, then I got the right perspective. And even here, Peter's being rebuked in a way. What is that to you? What is that to you? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, that comparing ourselves to one another is not wise. Another way of saying not wise is it's foolish. Peter eventually learns this as he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters. For some reason, being a busybody in other people's matters has become an acceptable sin in the church today, and it's not acceptable to the Lord. I mean, think, don't you think about, think about this. Don't you have enough issues in your own life to keep you busy and keeping your eyes on the Lord? Where did you get all this extra time to be a busybody in other people's lives? Well, I'll tell you what. What happens is you get so involved in other people's lives that your own personal walk with the Lord starts to falter. And now what's happened? I mean, because notice verse 23. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he would not die. But if I will, he remain till I come. What is that to you? You know, busybodies... And rumors and slander, they go together. Because notice here, if you like to write in your Bibles, just write next to verse 23, rumor. Jesus said something, and they spread a rumor about Jesus. It went around. Oh, Jesus is telling people he's not gonna, they're not going to die until he comes back. Peter, he's going to have a hard life. But John, not going to die. And that's not what he said at all. That's what the Bible says. John had to clear it out. The Holy Spirit, he said, Jesus did not say that to him. So they were lying about Jesus. We have our hands full with our own walk. That the Lord would strengthen us to not meddle in other people's affairs, not to be busybodies in other people's lives. Of course, there are those times where God would call us alongside to help someone, to encourage someone. But this whole idea of gossip and slander and spreading false rumors, it's not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord. It never ceases to amaze me and also sad me at the same time to hear how Christians are quick to partake in the juicy gossip about someone else. Uh, uh, and can you imagine what this would have been like if, if they had social media, if there was Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, how fast this thing would have spread? Hey, Jesus! And they all how fast the lie, even about Jesus himself, which tells us a couple things. Number one, that they spread rumors about Jesus they'll probably spread rumors about you too. I mean, Jesus Christ, perfect in all his ways and sinless, had rumors spread about him. Many more besides this one, but this is a clear one. And secondly, 
It grieves my heart as a pastor and your friend to see all the kind of nonsense that's on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore for that reason. I just got tired of it. I can't handle it. I can't handle it when my name's mentioned, someone's lying about me. You know, when they have my number, many of them know where I live, but they'd rather post something on Facebook. I mean, I can't, I don't have time for that. I hear Jesus saying, you follow me. And then getting in all these other things and posting this, do you guys forget that you're Christians? That you represent Jesus Christ? If you would just get so passionate about the gospel like you are for other things in your life, can you imagine the way that this city would be turned around? Oh, yeah, some are clapping and some are mad. Some are going, oh, yeah, and then some are going, wait a minute, Ed. Listen, I haven't been on Facebook for months, and I don't intend to come back. And some of you go, wait a minute, Ed, I see you post sometimes. Let me let you in on a little secret. I found a way to post with a, I have a program that I post where I don't have to read Facebook. Because I don't think I want to abandon it with the Word of God. I, I want to get things out, something that I've read, some scripture. I'm going to keep posting because, man, there are billions of people on there. I want the, the scriptures and the truth to go forth. But, man, these things that are forwarded and, and, oh, it was not this and it wasn't true. I mean, come on, guys. Man, we, we need to uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ and his agape love and his phileo love. You know, I, I know I do post some weird stuff sometimes. Like when I was in Washington, somebody gave me an amazing gift. How could I not share it with you? It was a donut, chocolate glazed, (laughs) with the hole in the middle. But you couldn't see the hole because somebody really, really smart took a Reese's peanut butter cup and stuffed it in that hole. I have to tell you, I posted it with a bite out of it. So you guys saw on Instagram, or I posted with a bite out of it because I fully intended only to take one bite. I ate it all, man. It was so good. I share that simply to get you to laugh because what I just shared previously is very hard to receive. But I'm telling you, church, don't lose your witness. Don't lose your witness by being easily sidetracked away from what's important. What's important? There's only two things that are eternal. Only two. The word of God and the souls of men. That's it. That's all that's worthy of our time and our attention. And rumors were started about Jesus. There's rumors all over the place. And I know in my own personal walk, I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. It was just so discouraging. It was so like, man, what's going on? What's happened to the body of Christ? What's happened to believers? What's happened to leaders? What's happening, Lord? Deliver us. Save us from this. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18, whoever hides hatred has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. It's foolishness. And if Jesus said something that so quickly can become juicy gossip, then it shouldn't surprise us to see it happen today. Lord, help us. Turn to chapter 20 as we close. Chapter 20, verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things, who wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Verse 24, John is saying, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I'm writing down what I saw and what I know. Little did he know that what he was writing down was actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
So he was writing down what he saw. He was writing down, but the Holy Spirit was carrying him along, writing down exactly what God wanted to be written. Verse 25, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And let's say that last word together. Amen. It's the end of the book, but not the end of my commentary. Hold on. (laughs) Studying through the life of Jesus is a wonderful thing. If you're looking for a place in your devotional life, you're not sure where you should open the Bible and you're new to the Bible and you don't know anything, just go to the Gospel of John, maybe the Gospel of Mark, and just start reading about Jesus. The best thing you can possibly do is get to know Jesus. And the most explicit descriptions of Jesus, the life and times and the teachings of Jesus, are found in the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now I have to say Jesus is in all the books of the Bible, but he is most readily seen as his life is chronicled in the Gospels. The best thing you can do is to get to know your Savior who died for you. The best thing you can do, especially when your faith is wavering, is not just to read the Bible, but go ahead and open up the book of John so that your faith, it was written specifically so you would believe that your faith would be renewed and strengthened and built up because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he's done so much. Not everything has been written down for Jesus. Just select things. There's so much that Jesus has done, God in human flesh, that there's not enough room and time to go through everything that he has done. And by the way, Jesus is still alive, working today. I mean, there are still things. Jesus is still moving in this room. Some of you were encouraged. Some of you were corrected. God is still moving through his spirit. And right now, Jesus is interceding for you even as the foxes reminded us from Brazil that whether it's the Satan himself that's asked to sift you or the circumstances of your life are sifting you or your own mind is sifting you or, I mean, you name it. You just feel like you're in the sifter, man. You're just going through it. You can hear the words of Jesus, can't you? But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. That's it, isn't it? I've prayed for you. Jesus standing before God battling the accuser of the brethren, praying for us. He's still ministering. Things could still be written down, even to this day, of the things that Jesus has done. But the canon is closed, and the revelation of those things will come when we're there face to face. And it's just a good thing for us to turn our attention and give God a chance to work in our lives, to step up, to step out in faith, trusting him in all areas. Amen? That's the end of John. So, Father, we're thankful and we're grateful for the opportunity to study your word and get to know you, Lord, to, um, you know, just wrestle with the things that are going on in our lives. And, I mean, we could go through a whole list, and by the time we're done with the list, there's just stuff happening, Lord, that uh, can be very hard and very difficult. There's confusion in the room right now. There's, you know, just the feelings and maybe some anger that's unresolved or maybe it's turned into resentment, Lord. And, and you, you don't want us to live life half-heartedly. You, you don't want us to, to play at religion. You don't want us to be sermon connoisseurs, but rather disciples. And so, God, I just pray for our fellowship family. This little work you're doing on the corner here in Aurora, Colorado, that our faith would not fail, Lord. Pray for us. 
intercede on our behalf. I mean, I'm asking for something you're already doing, but it feels good to ask. There's failure in the room right now, just heavy burdens of failure, things that you wish you could go back and change, but you can't. But there's restoration, there's recommissioning, there is forgiveness available for even the worst of failures. I even pray for those right now that might consider themselves a failure. Your word never says that. In Christ, we're more than victorious. We're more than conquerors. We are hidden in you, Christ. We are, man, there's so much to be said of who we are, and none of them says we're a failure, not in you, Jesus. So just release today, God, encouragement by your spirit. Release today uh, just a fresh sense of your presence in our lives. I know soccer's going to come, and I know baseball's around the corner, and I know football's over there, and, and I know that we've got to go to work because there's a couple jobs to make ends meet, and I know there's the injury, and I know there's the divorce. I know that life is going to just press into us as soon as we get up. But Lord, we pray for your strength and victory to move forward. We pray for wombs, Lord of many that are waiting for a child, Lord. We pray for you to touch wombs today. We pray for you to encourage singles today as they just get overwhelmed with this feeling that they're never going to get married or never going. Lord, would you encourage them and remind them that you love them. You love them single. You won't love them more when they get married. You love them right. You can't love them any more than you already do right now. And there's some among us maybe listening in that have never given their life to you, Lord. They've never repented of their sins, never accepted the forgiveness of their sins. And while we're praying, I want to invite you. If that's you, and, and you say, Ed, I need to get my life right with the Lord. I need to get my life right with God. I need to turn away from my sins. If that's you, I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Would you stand up and let's just get this done? Let's, let's turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ and let's just do it now. No more delay. Let's turn away from your sins and repent and embrace Jesus Christ. God bless you guys in the back. This is the day. You guys on the radio, you know, you just do it right in your car, in your kitchen. You guys are huddling in that prison or in that bed, that, that room in the hospital. Man, let's do it. Let's get it done today. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Today is the day. And can't you picture Jesus just coming alongside calling you to himself. I'm not asking you to join this church or I'm not asking you to be a church goer. I'm asking you to confess your sins before a holy, righteous God. And I do believe there are more and so we'll wait for you. Just stand up and acknowledge that. Make a public commitment to Jesus today. Here, I'll stand with you. So just, just come. Just do it. Like today's the day. Now is the time. God, he loves you with a love that is hard to even describe with words. Quite a few pastors have a hard time, bless you, bro, hard time trying to describe the love of God. God bless you right here. Yeah, it is. It's an outpouring of of God's spirit today. It's an outpouring of his love in your life, his desire to be in relationship with you, no longer at odds. No, God bless you, sister. Because that's what you guys become today, brothers and sisters in the family of God. But here's what the Bible says, okay? 
This is what the Bible says. Those of you that responded, standing, sitting, downstairs, wherever you might be. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so this is what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer so this can happen in your life. You can confess to God directly the belief that's in your heart so that in your heart you believe and with your mouth you confess it. So pray this out loud, would you? Talk directly to God and I'll go slow so you can repeat after me. Or you can change it up if you like. It doesn't have to be my words, but here's the gist of it. God, I come to you today and ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Not because of what I have done, but because what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again to save me forever. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day onward. And I ask for your help, God, that I would turn away from my sinful past and follow you. God, I know anyone, anywhere that comes to you, your word says that they will no wise be cast out. And we readily acknowledge to you, God, we don't know the hearts of men, but I'll tell you what, anyone that turns to you is a good thing. And I just pray for them that they're the seed that takes root and bears much fruit. It is simply not true that you only love a certain group of people on the earth. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for the world in our worst condition. And may your gospel continue to go out and melt hearts. Father, may you draw people to yourself. And for those today that responded God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. We pray that they are truly born again and that we'll get to see all the things you want to do in their lives. All the transition, all the changes. Continue, and now give them the strength to go tell their friends, tell their family, read their Bibles. We are very grateful to be a small part of what you're doing on the earth today. So bless those that would turn to you in any fashion, any form today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, that's good. That's good. So let's stand together, church. If if someone around